to the Bova News Podcast. I'm Kim Bremer and I'll be your host today. Today we're going to get an update on feed costs, milk prices, and margins. We're in a long bout of high feed costs that are shrinking margins on dairy farms. And today our expert will help us understand what to do from a risk management standpoint to help offset some of those costs. Joining me on the podcast is Mike North. Mike began his work in the futures industry in 1995 and founded Commodity Risk Management Group in 2014. His team of brokers and advisors lead production and processing clients to construct marketing and margin management programs. Commodity Risk Management Group combined with Rice Dairy in 2019 to form Ever Ag. Welcome to the podcast today, Mike. Hey, good to join you, Kim. So to start with, can you give us an update on where we're at with milk prices today? How we got here? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if you take a look at nearby pricing, and you know, I'll reference this in a class three frame. Uh, we're, we're, we're trading right around 16 to 16 and a half dollars out through October. So you know, if you look at that price relative to where it was a couple of months ago, you're going to say, oh my goodness, what happened? Uh, back in May, we were trading prices that were 19 and a half to 20 dollars. And prices as we came into the back half of May, and then again the back half of June, and then again the back half of July sold off. So, so what happened? Um, well, as we talk about class three specifically, there's really a couple of things. First and foremost, cheese price. And if you look at cheese prices where they're at today versus where they were then, uh, at that time, we had blocks trading at about a dollar eighty a pound, and we had barrels trading at about a dollar eighty to eighty-five a pound as well. And that's what really allowed the market to be as strong as it was back in that uh, that April May timeframe. Since that time, cheese prices have come down quite a bit, and we've seen it, seen it come in waves, and mostly seen it in barrels. And if you look at what barrels have done. Uh, you know, over the last couple of months, we've seen front half of the month uh, price acceleration, a little bit of rally uh, into that second week, and then prices fall back off. And that trend has continued now three months in a row. We now have prices at $1.30. So if we were to just talk about barrels and use the old thumb rule of, you know, every, every penny in cheese is a dime in milk, that represents about a $5 drop in in uh, milk price and you know as we were framing that up you know we have lost three and a half to four Uh, the other balancers in that conversation are blocks and blocks you know had a big sell-off in may as we headed into memorial day kind of flattened off and then came back alive in early july only to give it away and now we've kind of hung in this range for the last week at around a dollar 63. so it's about 20 cents off of the uh, old uh, early May or April highs that we were looking at previously. So a much more muted picture and a much more muted downside than what we see in, in uh, barrels. And then, you know, lastly, the third leg of that is, is, the, is the whey market. As you look at whey prices, we are still trading higher than where we were last year at this time. However, as we started that rally in August that worked its way into that April, May timeframe, where we peaked at 65, 70 cents, we've since dropped back now to a price of 48 cents. And today's trade in the spot market was actually the lowest since January and uh, you know continues to eat away at some of those gains that we began building late last summer. So you know when we talk about $16 milk, it's certainly 
not a great price. And when you lay that against a uh, much more inflated feed cost, it's really not a great uh, feed price. And so, uh, you know, that, that certainly raises some concern. Now, when you get beyond October and you start working your way into the end of the year and out into 2022, the story does change some. Um, the market is about a dollar higher as we get into 2022. And today we're staring at in, uh, prices in Q1 that are about 17.15 on average, uh, Q2 17.25 on average. Uh, so the first half of the year is, you know, is north of $17, which, you know, when you compare that to 16, big deal, Mike, what's, what's all the fuss? Um, that extra dollar really does mean something that time of the year. And again, while late against feed prices, it's not too sexy, but when we talk about 17 and a quarter or anything north of $17 in the first half of the year, very quickly, what you'll find if you compare that history is that that's a really good price. Uh, in fact, uh, aside from 2014, that would be the best price offering ever. So you really have to kind of look at this in, in two lights. As, as we talk about milk price, it's not just about what it means to the producer. Um, remember, milk price is a byproduct of product pricing. So that milk price is a reflection of what's paid for by a consumer as well. And so, you know, as much work as we do in the dairy industry to educate the public about what happens on the farm and how things work and where their food comes from, the consumer is somewhat decoupled and, you know, almost even disinterested what the profitability is on the farm. They are very interested about what they pay for product. And so when we talk about what $17 represents, it represents, you know, the second highest price in history. And that is, you know, uh, a, a, a price that comes out of product pricing, which means that we would expect the highest pricing of product in that same period as well. So you have to look at this through the lens, both of what it means to you in terms of profitability. And you also have to look at milk prices through the lens of what it means relative to history and how a consumer might respond to that price point. And so as we look at it, we're actually very pleased with what we see in 2022's first half, even though we know it doesn't mean a lot in terms of the profitability at the farm, given these higher feed costs. So, you know, nearby, not so great. Further out, relative to history, pretty decent, just not incredibly profitable. So feed costs, let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, what are some of the things you're seeing in terms of what producers are facing with regard to higher feed costs? How long do you think these higher feed costs may last? Well, you know, we're already seeing some herd liquidation in different parts of the country as producers are paying higher prices for feed, you know, especially as we talk about uh, proteins, concentrates, things of that nature. Uh, end of day, those prices are up, you know, considerably from where they were last year to the tune of about 70 to $80 a ton. And, you know, that's even uh, less than where it was, you know, just a few months ago when we had soybean meal printing prices that were $100 over where they're at today. So, you know, feed prices have, have, have certainly come up. And a lot of that is born out of uh, two things. One is the tightening balance sheet that we saw as we came through last fall, winter, and into this spring. Um, and that was a byproduct of a lot of different things. It was some recal re recalibrations of USDA numbers. Uh, there was, you know, bushels of corn and soybeans that ultimately they thought were there, 
that ended up not being there and the stocks report uh, fleshed out those smaller numbers. We saw a shrinking crop in South America. Uh, right now we're you know, dealing with that on the corn side. There was talk of it on the soybean side you know, earlier this year before you know, they ended up harvesting a record crop. Uh, but freezes in Brazil have, have uh, caused some more damage to that crop and shrunk their exportable supply. Uh, we've watched as the ethanol industry has kind of regained their footing coming out of COVID and production is moving back towards capacity. It's, it's not at full capacity yet, but it's been moving back towards capacity as Americans are back out on the road. We've watched as, uh, you know, China has come in, you know, in a big way at a time of the year when they're not expected to be present at all and buy up a lot of U.S. corn and soybeans. And so all of these things shrunk our balance sheet as we came through the winter and spring and really put a bullish light on prices. That's been compounded by a dry Western Corn Belt, uh, specifically the Dakotas, Minnesota, Northern Iowa, parts of Nebraska. And, you know, there's a lot of concern about what that yield might be. Uh, that's part of what's kept the premium alive in this market. Now, as you pull grain producers in that region, what you're going to often hear is that despite the stress, despite the dryness, these timely rains, which haven't been massive, but just enough to buy enough time to the next one, have their crop in a better place than what they would have ever envisioned it to be. So as we look at the prices of corn and soybeans, it has been slowly starting to drift lower in recent weeks. And the question that we'll answer on August 12th is what does the USDA believe that yield to be? Because if you remember, when they set their first number in May, they use what we call trendline yield to determine what that yield will be and consequently what that'll mean to our overall supply. And that number on corn was 179.5 and on soybeans, it's 50.8. Given the stress in the West, many thought the crop to be much less than that. If you go back a few weeks ago, there was a lot of consensus around a 175 corn yield and a, a just sub 50 soybean yield. Both of those numbers represent significant cuts to the balance sheet that would cause this high price to not only uh, maintain momentum, but even carry forward for at least another year. That picture is maybe starting to change a little bit. And even uh, on Tuesday, uh, we saw uh, bar charts come out with their own analysis ahead of the August 12th report that suggests that maybe the yield is even higher than where the USDA has it pegged at. Uh, and they came out with numbers that were north of 180 on, on, on corn and, and 51 on beans. If we can hit that, it does suggest that we could see some softening prices as we come into fall. However, here's the caution in this statement. It's not going to change our picture so significantly so as to remove that tight balance sheet discussion as we head into winter. So what happens in South America, again, will be a discussion point. What the Chinese do will again be a discussion point. And we'll be very closely monitoring what those balance sheets do as we walk our way into 2022. However, if we can realize better yields than what people have more recently forecasted, and the USDA is accurate in their number, we could very well see 
enough reason to take prices a little bit lower as we head towards fall, which will be an opportunity for dairymen to capitalize on a little lesser cost structure. As we head then into that 2020 uh, milk price structure that we talked about at near record levels. So um, there's some optimism there for feed. You know, we're probably not going back to, you know, $3 corn and $200 and, you know, $70 meal anytime quick. But there's an opportunity for that to soften as we head towards fall. But be very careful with that because as we head further through the winter and into 2022, you know, slight issues could change that and add premium to those values pretty quickly. So then the question is, should producers be looking at renewing feed contracts or do you think we should wait for the August 12th report? Well, I think as we head forward, there's reason to be in discussion with your suppliers right now. The first thing that I'd want to see is where their basis levels live. You know, how much more premium over the board price are they pricing soybean meal to you? Where is your canola basis relative to soybean meal? Is it only, you know, here in Wisconsin, we often will see, you know, 70 to $90 under. Are they only giving me, you know, $30 under or are they towards a more normal basis? You know, a good basis is certainly something to go after because we can always come back to the price element and manage that on the board. But good basis is something to go after. And, you know, while we're on the subject of proteins, the one thing to keep in mind is that Canada is part of that dry area, specifically the region that grows canola and wheat. And when you look at that particular region with the stressed canola crop, we do know that we're going to have a lot less access to canola as we head into 2022, given the smaller crop that they're harvesting in Canada right now. So if you have a good basis, that is certainly something to entertain, Kim. Um, But I, I wouldn't go hog wild here because again, we're still sitting at prices that are $70 $70 to $80 over last year. So leave a little bit of room there to react to some of this uh, market movement and to capitalize on you know some potential improvements as we head towards fall. But do go after good basis if good basis is in front of you. Um, you know, on the corn side of things, very quickly, there's going to be a lot of corn going into uh, the bunkers and hitting feed pads uh, across this country over the course of the next uh, four to six weeks. And as we, uh, you know, engage in that, um, you know, pricing today is still north of five bucks. We're not talking about stellar uh, price points right here to, again, uh, go crazy and locking up. But the way we're handling it right now ahead of that report, Kim, is with call options. We really like using calls to create a defensive strategy because we have seen the market come off of some of those higher prices that we were witnessing here four, six, eight weeks ago. So um, take advantage of the price, but I'm not big on going out there and just booking everything right here. I'd I'd leave a little bit of room, go after good basis and use call options to defend against any further upside. So the outlook for margins, given the state we're in with regard to milk price and feed costs, you're optimistic. As we get into that 2022 period, especially, yes. Um, You know, this fall could still be interesting. You know, the thing we haven't talked about, the thing that still looms over this market is we have the largest milk herd that we've seen since the 80s. And, you know, that being the case, that's a lot of milk still in production, a lot of cows, excuse me, still in production, a lot of milk 
uh, available to uh, processors. And we've, we've really picked up uh, our processing capacity with that added milk and, you know, pushed a lot towards inventory. And you've been watching that in, in some of the uh, cold storage numbers. You've been watching that in, you know, the, 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 uh, the dairy products report. We're seeing uh, a lot of inventory out there. And if we don't maintain demand where it's at, that could really come back to us. That's been the blessing, though. We've had really solid demand for product. So if that gives, gives way at all, uh, that will be an issue. But aside from any sort of, you know, movements away from uh, the demand side of the equation, yes, uh, margins look like they have a bit more positive outlook as we, uh, you know, get later into the year and into the new year. Well, and lastly, we know COVID instances back on the rise, according to the news. Are we past, at least for now, the effect COVID had on milk prices, or do you see that being a factor moving forward? It depends on which element of COVID you, you focus on. The supply chain, let's just call a spade a spade. The supply chain is a mess right now. Um, and a lot of that stems from COVID. You know, our economy is not meant to be a start and stop mechanism. It's meant to be a continuous flow. And that is not happening in a lot of different ways. We're still dealing with port issues. You know, there is some optimism in that. It looks like we're, you know, moving towards being caught up. But at the same time, you know, you know, Asia is, is starting to clamp down a little bit with some of these more recent outbreaks. You know, we're dealing with uh, wood availability to build crates for 640 pound blocks. We're seeing trucker shortages. We've got, you know, all sorts of different things like that. We're not fully out of the woodwork with regard to COVID influenced elements as it touches our business, especially logistically. Um, but we are at least on the demand side of that discussion, making good progress. And we still see solid retail performance. We're seeing uh, you know, continued growth in food service. And that's where, when I made the comment about demand, you know, things have been very, very solid for us. And we're even doing fairly well on, on the export side of things. You know, we've watched as things have tapered a little bit as we came through late June into July, but we're still, you know, showing really good, uh, solid export numbers relative to history. So, you know, we're even moving some things out of the country despite all of the logistical challenges. So when we, when we uh, you know, look at where the, the COVID issue rests, it's become more of a logistic headache and less of a demand story. Uh, but uh, yeah, it still lingers with us here a little bit. Well, Mike, it's great to hear your message of optimism, though, moving into 2022. I think that's a welcome, welcome sign to producers out there. Well, and, you know, here's the thing that I tell everybody, right? That's with everything we know today, right? And, and not to put a dark cloud over that optimism, but if we go back to that May discussion, remember we had a lot of optimism back then also, and we were staring at 19 to $20 prices, which have become 16. So I guess the message in all of this is while it's there today, and while we have the hopes of you know, great prices around the corner, and we're staring at you know, historically high levels in the first half of 2022, that's not a promise that they'll still be there six, nine, 12 months from now when we're you know, actually realizing that part of the calendar. So producers still need to be proactive. They still need to go out into the marketplace and take measures to defend these type of opportunities because margins are good and then margins are not good. And that ebb and flow 
is is constantly in play. So while they're there, you know, go out and address that and, you know, be a steward of what's in front of you. Have the discussions with, you know, your risk manager, you know, if you don't have one, give us a call. I mean, reality is you need to start going after some of that stuff. Talk to your suppliers on the feed side, you know, be in constant conversation with your, with your growers. You know, if you're, if you're buying all your feed, you know, just keep that conversation alive and constantly be, you know, uh, attending to that margin because what's here today doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, call it out as a promise for tomorrow. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming on today to share your expertise. We always appreciate having you on here, Mike. This wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone here at Bova News, have a great day.